0: Okay. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Peter Husey. I'm Director of Strategic Deterrent Studies here at the Mitchell Institute for Airspace, and welcome to today's Nuclear Deterrent Forum. We're fortunate today to have Gordon Chang and Rick Fisher. Gordon Chang is an East Asia and China expert and author of numerous books on China, including The Great U.S.-China Tech War and Losing South Korea, Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World, and the coming collapse of China. Gordon lived and worked in China and Hong Kong for almost two decades as a lawyer and has given briefings to numerous government agencies on China. Rick Fisher is a senior fellow at Asia on uh, Asian military affairs at the International Assessment and Strategy Center. He is recognized as a top authority on the PRC military and the Asian military balance. He has 20 years of expertise working on Asian security matters both inside Capitol Hill and on various public policy think tanks. Welcome gentlemen, and thank you for taking the time to join us today here at the Mitchell Institute. I'd like to start today's session by giving you each an opportunity to make a few opening remarks on China's nuclear build and modernizations of its nuclear forces, its nuclear strategy, and the current status of how that affects U.S.-China relations. And I'd like to start with Gordon Chang and then turn things over to Rick. So thank you both for being here. And over to you, Gordon. Well, thank you so much, Peter. And thank you so much to the Mitchell
1: Institute. Um, As you mentioned, the topic today is China's rapid buildup of its nuclear arsenal. And I'm gonna try to put that frightening development in the context of US-China relations. And we start this search for context on March 18th. Then China's top two diplomats came to America and they came not to have a meaningful dialogue with Secretary of State Blinken and National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, but to lecture and to rant. Now, young jia er, who was the senior um, member of the delegation said this, quote, let me say to the Chinese side here present that the United States no longer has the ability to talk to China from a position of strength. So what Yang was actually saying was that deterrence is breaking down, that China could do whatever it wants and that the U.S. could not stop it. Chinese leader Xi Jinping said pretty much the same thing. However, from a more lofty perch on July 1st, this was to mark the centennial of the founding of the Communist Party. And Xi Jinping said that he was willing to crack skulls and spill blood for those who stood in his way. And because Xi Jinping wants to take territory under the control of others, what he was really saying is that he wants to kill to take uh, in in, uh, his territorial aggression. Now, this remark about cracking skulls and spilling blood got a lot of attention, but there was something else that he said during that speech, which was more ominous. Xi Jinping said this, quote, The Communist Party of China and the Chinese people, with their bravery and tenacity, solemnly proclaim to the world that the Chinese people are not only good at taking down the old world, but also good in building a new one. What Xi Jinping was referring to was uh, China's imperial era system, where the Chinese ruler believed that he not only had the mandate of heaven over Tian all under heaven, but that heaven compelled him to rule the entire world. Now, Xi Jinping has been making Tianxia references for more than a decade, but recently those references have become unmistakable. So for instance, in his 2017 New Year's message, he said, the Chinese people uh, have always held that the world is united and all under heaven. And there's that phrase, all under heaven, are one family. And his underlings have been even more explicit. So China is not, as many people will tell you, you'll hear many people in Washington tell you, look, China is just trying to compete with us within the existing Westphalian international order. That's not true. It's not trying to compete with us. It's not even trying to adjust that world order more to China's liking. It's trying to take it down all together. And let's remember that Xi Jinping's ambitions are not confined to planet Earth. In 2018, his officials started talking about the moon and Mars as sovereign Chinese territory. That's right, part of the People's Republic of China. And this means they consider those heavenly bodies to be just sort of like theirs and theirs alone, like the South China Sea. And that also means and, and Rick can talk about this because he's the leader in discussion about China's ambitions on the moon. That China will try to exclude others from going there if they have the possibility and control to do so. Now, in April, Beijing announced the names of its Mars rover, said it's Zhurong. And Zhurong was named after the Chinese god of fire. What Beijing didn't say was that Jurong is also the god of the South China Sea and the god of war. And because we know that deterrence is breaking down, thanks to Yang Jiaxer's comments, we have to talk about war. And when we talk about war, we must, of course, reference those 110 silos that China is building over 700 square miles in the Gansu Desert. Construction on this began in February. Also, we recently learned that China is building perhaps as many as 110 silos in the Xinjiang Desert. You add those to existing silos in Inner Mongolia, and we're talking perhaps as many as 250 silos. Those silos look designed to um, accommodate China's DF-41 missile. Maximum range, 9,300 miles, putting all of the continental U.S. in range. Also, each DF-41 can carry 10 warheads. You do the arithmetic, it looks like China wants to have a deployed arsenal larger than America's. Now, Jeffrey Lewis, who made the disclosure of the Gansu silos, blames the United States for China's accelerated missile building drive. He says, look, we're stumbling into an arms race because of America's investments into its arsenal, plus also its missile defense system. Well, I'm not buying it because Beijing knows that our improvements of our arsenal are really to replace weapons that are decades old and nearing the end of their useful lives. And also, China knows that our missile defense system is really meant to deal only with Iran and North Korea. And we met in may not even be able to handle those rogue states. Clearly, we cannot substantially degrade an assault from China. So what's going on? Well, missiles in fixed silos are use them or lose them weapons. Um, They look like they're for deterrence, but not in this case. Not in this case, because China already has a minimal deterrent. We already are deterred and China wants to substantially increase its weapons. So the question is, what are they doing? And it looks like they are looking for not deterrence, but a war-fighting capability with their nukes. Possibly, and this seems to be the main um, possibility, is that China just wants to use its arsenal to intimidate the United States for various purposes, including They want maybe not the United States to come to Taiwan as rescue, should China invade the threat of nuclear weapons. We don't have to speculate too much because it was just two weeks ago where China made a threat to nuke Japan if Japan were to come to Taiwan's rescue. So we got to assume the worst. We got to assume the worst because China looks like it's deliberately trying to increase American apprehensions. And we'll talk about three of these apprehension increasing tactics on the part of Beijing. First of all, we have over a long period of time heard Chinese flag officers in public unprovoked threatened to nuke American cities. Even more ominous uh, in October, 2013, uh, Chinese state and communist party media across a broad array of platforms, including People's Daily, which is the most authoritative publication. So People's Daily, China Central Television, PLA Daily, um, China Youth Daily, other publications ran identical stories about how China's submarines could launch ballistic missiles carrying nuclear weapons and destroy American cities and kill Americans by the tens of millions. And this was not any sort of rogue journalist because these stories were carried across uh, platforms in China, which means that they were directed from the top, the top of the Chinese political system. Second thing, we have seen China refuse to participate in arms control agreements. or discussions. Trump administrations invited China to do this. So has the Biden team. And this secrecy And this refusal to talk about its weapons should lead us to be concerned that China has insidious plans. And then third of all, and here Rick has been um, the great uh, person talking about this, um, China and Russia are cooperating. They're cooperating not just joint military exercises, but it looks like they're cooperating on missile offense operations. So what is China really trying to do? Well, I think as Rick has talked about, China has a doctrine in effect of unrestricted warfare. That's the title of that infamous 1999 book. And Beijing denies that unrestricted warfare is official, but nonetheless, it acts as if it does. And we've got to remember that, un- that unrestricted warfare means unrestricted. They can do anything, nothing is out of bounds. So what happens in the future? To take a peek at Beijing, let's start in Moscow. Of course, the United States did not go to war with the Soviet Union. But we did have those 13 terrifying days in October 1962 that we all remember as the Cuban Missile Crisis. And unbeknownst to us at the start of that crisis, this was a period when Khrushchev was weak in his tenure. Now, Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, looks strong. But there are also indications that he's not strong as it appears. And indeed, what makes Xi Jinping strong in many respects also makes him weak. And that brings in this whole issue of Khrushchev Cuban Missile Crisis. We know that Xi Jinping has relied upon the military to be the core of his support. And many people say that Xi Jinping controls the military, especially after the purge of so called corrupt officers after the top to bottom reorganization of the Chinese military. Well, one can say that, but one can also say that maybe Chinese flag officers who are the core of C support are telling Xi Jinping what to do. Or maybe, maybe Xi Jinping realizes that he has to let the flag officers do what they want. But in any event, there's one thing we know. The one thing we know is that hardliners in Beijing, many of them in uniform, are now setting the tone. And that's why only hostile answers are considered to be politically acceptable in Beijing. That means we're seeing China adopt a military first diplomacy. They call it military diplomacy in China and that's what's occurring. Now there's also one other quick explanation for what's going on. And that is that Chinese flag officers and especially Chinese leaders are seeing a closing window of opportunity where Beijing faces vulnerabilities, it doesn't know what to do. Um, We're seeing a number of problems that Beijing can't handle. And so perhaps Xi Jinping, and we start to see this in Chinese media, there are hints of this, that the Chinese leaders realize that if they're going to achieve historic um, ambitions, they got to do it not in the 2030s or not in the 2040s that people talk about, but in the 2020s, which some people now call, and I think rightly call, the decade of concern. Now, because Xi Jinping has accumulated so much political power, he's also accumulated unprecedented vulnerability because now he no longer has anyone else to blame. And Xi Jinping also knows that he has raised the cost of losing political struggles, which means that he realizes that he could lose everything, everything, should he fail politically. And that means Xi Jinping has a very low threshold of risk, much lower than we think, which means that he can take us by surprise, which means that he could do something unimaginable. At the moment, we know that he is, in fact, making plans to mobilize China for war. As of the first day of this year, amendments to the national defense law came into effect. They take power away from the Chinese civilian central government, the State Council, and they give it to the Communist Party's Central Military Commission, which is the governing body for the People's Liberation Army. Now these amendments um, mean that the State Council will no longer supervise the mobilization of the army. This power goes, as mentioned, to the Central Military Commission. Now I know that this looks like a lot of posturing because the Communist Party has always been in control. But the signaling should be of concern, nonetheless, because the new law, after all, contemplates the mass mobilization of society. These changes signal the growing clout of the People's Army in China, and it means that the country is moving towards war. We can say that China is making fast progress to becoming a military state. On March 18, Young Josh Sherrod told us that deterrence is breaking down on July 1st. Xi Jinping told us what he wants to do. And that means we could be at the last moments of peace.
0: Thank you. Rick over to you, sir.
2: Okay. If uh, you could call up my, uh, updated slide bank, I'd appreciate it. And, uh, while that's well that's happening, I I would just open by saying that uh, Gordon delivered the good news, and uh, uh, I promise uh, to have, have none of that. Uh, but uh, uh, thank you, Peter, uh, uh, and um, my thanks to uh, the Air Force Association and the Mitchell Institute for inviting me back uh, to hold forth with uh, my very good friend uh, Gordon Chang. Now. As, as I see it, uh, the, the revelations of, of the last uh, month plus the uh, cryptic statements uh, that have been made by uh, a number of American military leaders uh, uh, point me to the conclusion that uh, China is now in a mode of sprinting to nuclear superiority. Uh, next slide, please. If we look at uh, the state of uh, the missiles and, and the warheads before uh, the sprint to superiority, uh, we, we go back to last year's uh, Department of Defense China Military Power Report, which uh, for the first time uh, elevated the number of uh, ICBMs alone, just ICBMs, to 100. And uh, based on uh, various open sources, uh, you know, the Chinese don't tell us how many missiles, how many warheads they have. Uh, and you know, for, that, for that matter, uh, the United States uh, is careful about revealing sources and methods. So they don't, they don't uh, I, I would say, give us the full story either. But uh, uh, what I've assembled is what I hope is a reasonable guess. And uh, if you assume that as the South China Morning Post told us uh, a few months ago, that uh, the last two Type 094A uh, SSBNs are armed with the new JL-3 submarine launch ballistic missile, uh, I estimate that uh, before the current buildup, China already had a range of between 300 and, and over 500 Warheads at its uh, disposal, uh, deployed warheads. Uh, next slide, please. And uh, for those who have been uh, uh, paying rapt attention to uh, the uh, the Mitchell Institute and uh, its its uh, successive uh, luncheon, breakfast meetings, and forums over the last decade, you will have been familiar with uh, this story uh, uh, all the indicators that uh, China was far more interested in a more robust and, and larger nuclear force than its uh, statements uh, and documents uh, would betray and i mean just to go over some you know well known history uh, in 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 the early 2010s Uh, it became clear that China had assembled uh, uh, thousands of kilometers of tunnels to hide its missiles. And uh, we have to thank uh, Phil Carber and his students at Georgetown University for helping to uh, expose uh, all that progress. We have the history of the introduction of uh, road mobile, uh, ICBMs uh, to include uh, since 2017 perhaps, the the new 10 warhead capable Dongfeng DF-41, which uh, we expect to come out in a rail mobile version as well. Uh, So all the thousands of kilometers of of, uh, rail tunnels, civilian rail tunnels, uh, will uh, be utilized for basing as well. SSBNs have been coming along. Uh, Early uh, 2000s, we saw construction of the new underground base at Sanya, Hainan Island, six uh, type 094, second generation SSPN, so forth. What if uh, the PLA makes another six, at least another six type 096 third generation SSBNs, And uh, the SLBM has uh, grown from the single warhead, uh, longer range JL2 to the much longer range, uh, multiple warhead capable JL3, which some Chinese sources suggest may carry up to six, multiple warheads. Liquid-fueled ICBMs have not been abandoned. Uh, uh, according to uh, uh, researcher uh, Decker Eveleth, uh, there may be eight more silos under construction, perhaps for the new Dongfang 5 Charlie, which uh, has been reported to have been tested with 10 warheads. And then, and then, Starting uh, very early this year, we see the beginning of the construction of uh, the, the missile silo fields uh, in, in uh, Yumen and then in Hami and Xinjiang. Uh, possibly 230, you add another 16 uh, being built at the Tai training area. Uh, uh, thanks to uh, the, we know this, in detail, of course, thanks to the imagery purchased by uh, the Federation of American Scientists and and uh, the James Martin Center, Jeffrey Lewis's group, uh, and uh, of course, uh, officials have been hinting that uh, things are, are brewing. Next next slide, please. Uh, just just some interesting statements. Who uh, Jin. Uh, of the Global Times, told us uh, last year, maybe China needs 1,000 warheads quickly. Then in January of 2021, South China Morning Post says, uh, whereas uh, Hu Hu Jijin says they need 1,000 warheads, South China Morning Post says they already have 1,000 warheads in a nuclear stockpile. Uh, Very little attention has been Uh, placed by uh, official or even private sector analysts on the idea that the Chinese may have a warhead stockpile. Uh, And uh, this was the first open mention that I've seen of it. Uh, And of course, uh, almost a decade ago, or basically a decade ago, uh, retired Russian rocket force general Victor Essen wrote that based on his estimates, uh, uh, well, his government's, his, his rocket force estimates, uh, China has already produced perhaps up to 1,800 warheads with perhaps up to 900 deployed. And of course, uh, Admiral STRATCOM Commander, Admiral uh, Charles Richard warned us last February, China could possibly quadruple its warhead count over the next decade. Second, next slide, please. Now here's my uh, estimate of uh, where the PLA uh, may be going in terms of its warhead levels, provided uh, some uh, reasonable assumptions are made. Uh, people on, on the other side may argue, but uh, I think it's fair to uh, assume that all the silos will have ICBMs. The DF-41 can perhaps loft up to 10 of these warheads, uh, that uh, filling these uh, silos may, be, ha- may happen quickly because the China Aerospace Science and Industry Corporation uh, will, can supplement the production of ICBMs based on its recent family of uh, solid fuel, mobile DF-41 size uh, uh, space launch vehicles. Again, uh, let's consider that China will build six more 096 SSBNs and that uh, the DF-5 Charlie will go in those uh, eight, eight new silos. So if uh, I've come up with a, a minimum and a, and a maximum uh, guesstimate and uh, the maximum guesstimate takes us well over 3000 warheads compared to the 1300 or so that the United States deploys, the 1400 plus that uh, at least we credit uh, the Russians with having. And of course they're building many new systems to, to supplement that number. Up in the corner here, we have uh, an image that just came out yesterday. It's a Rocket Force-owned and operated unmanned ground vehicle uh, uh, surveillance system. If you look in the background; uh, there's a lot of desert in that in that image. Uh, perhaps this is already the security system for uh, the new ICBM silo fields. Uh, next slide, please. And uh, China is going to, in my opinion. Put a lot of effort into uh, developing new hypersonic glide vehicle warheads for its its new ICBMs uh, uh, last year uh, a web page that note know- that, that it was since closed provided very interesting images of uh, HGVs placed on a variety of possible Chinese missiles and then uh, in late May this year Chinese state television, featured uh, images of uh, a warhead bus with 10 HGVs. Uh, of course, they add range. Uh, they're much more difficult to shoot down. Uh, it, make, it makes the potential Chinese threat all the more dangerous. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, uh, Gordon correctly mentioned uh, the Chinese emphasis on seizing control. In, in space, control of the Earth Moon system, as I as I say it, of course you have to control the high ground in order to control low Earth orbit, in order to ensure victory on Earth, and uh, this this logic is compelling. The Chinese Communist Party and the PLA, which controls the Chinese entire Chinese space program, to uh, build to uh, probably send people to the moon well before 2030 based on the development of a new uh, 25 to 26 ton uh, capacity to the moon space launch vehicle. And by the end of this decade, the Long March 9 will come along. (coughs) We were recently informed that the Long March 9 will be developed into, into a version with a reusable first stage, competing with Elon Musk, no doubt. Uh, And uh, last November, China Daily and the China Aerospace Science and Technology Corporation told us that uh, from uh, 2030 to 2035, China may require 10 Long March 9s a year. So 60 Long March 9s. (laughs) In my opinion, just 40 Long March 9s would be enough to build about 10 moon bases. And then uh, this this past June, China revealed uh, an architecture for going to Mars, incorporating uh, nuclear propulsion. So the Chinese are on the moon, are on the, are on the move. They're on the move to the moon, on the move to, to Mars. They want to secure this high ground uh, and uh, ensure that all dual use benefits accrue to the People's Liberation Army. Next slide, please. As as Gordon also mentioned, (coughs) it's not just a new level of Chinese threat that we face. It is also the possibility of joint China and Russia, uh, nuclear coercion, or perhaps even war fighting. Uh, I I like to say that uh, the the Chinese and the Russians have been uh, cooperating in strategic defense for most of the last uh, decade. I think it's certainly logical to ask, Are they also engaging in strategic offense cooperation? Uh, The conventional cooperation in Asia, uh, surrounding Taiwan, certainly raises the question whether there will be a joint nuclear threat or coercion cooperation over a potential uh, uh, exercise to take Taiwan. Uh, And uh, perhaps the Chinese have already assessed that with the right leadership in the United States, Enough nuclear weapons could deter uh, a a potential uh, American American president from coming to Taiwan's aid. If Taiwan falls, our position in Asia collapses. Superiority to attack all uh, conflict potential nuclear conflict with the People's Republic of China. Uh, uh, Next slide, please. And here I I simply, I'm not going to read all this, but uh, we're in a new era, a new Chinese nuclear posture. The old posture uh, was deception, clearly. Uh, And uh, arms control going forward is not going to be possible with China unless we accept Chinese Communist Party goals like conquest, destruction of Taiwan's democracy, and our own strategic subordination. China is building this nuclear force to support its goals of eventual global hegemony. It has little to do with what the United States does. That's a canard, uh, as Gordon Gordon, uh, mentioned. Uh, Any suggestion that China is reacting to the United States really is a delusion, and these arguments are, are meant to set up and justify future defeatist policies, in, in my opinion. And the age of nuclear coercion is here as well, as Gordon mentioned. The, the video uh, uh, that uh, was revealed on a Chinese military-supported website a few weeks ago uh, uh, stating that, that uh, we will nu- use nuclear bombs first, we will use nuclear bombs continuously until Japan declares unconditional surrender for a second time. This just erases uh, decades of, of of Chinese boilerplate diplomacy and, and now clearly just deceptive propaganda. We 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 are we are in a new age, uh, and this this kind of nu- virtual nuclear terrorism, as I call it, is is only going to get worse. Next slide, please. And here I just list some policy questions. Uh, when is our leadership going to explain? these new threats, they are existential threats. Second, when, when are we going to realize that signing on to a New START extension was a colossal mistake? Uh, when are we gonna get out of New START so that we signal to Beijing and Moscow that we will not be overwhelmed and blackmailed? I think it's time to begin re-merving and uh, building new missiles. Clearly, this is a period that requires a buildup in order to build down. And uh, what about missile defense? Given that uh, China and Russia could combine their f- threat, we need to end our restrictions on missile defense uh, aimed at rogue states. And we also need to invest very quickly in new nuclear civil defense. How about no, green, no new green deal? How about defending a, a deal to defend America? Thank you. And uh, I'm, I'm, I've concluded my comments.
0: Well, thank you, both Rick and Gordon. Uh, My first question you've basically answered, but let me go to the next one, which is how to interpret what the Chinese are doing with respect to the missile silos that uh, have been built in two different areas, upwards, as Gordon said, about 260 missiles. Um, Some analysts, including uh, Jeff Lewis, says, oh, don't worry about it. They're only going to put, and he actually had a number. He said in the New York Times piece, 12 missiles in 140 some odd silos. Um, And therefore, what they're doing is a system of, you don't know where our real missiles are, so you'd have to take out all silos. And that's a very big targeting issue. So it's a way for them to have survivable uh, ICBMs. Uh, That was the the one point. The second point made by Lewis was, oh, they're just going to trade away the silos for arms control, uh, which was their second point. So I'd like Uh, Gordon, why don't you start, what's the credibility of that assertion? And then I'd like to go to Rick uh, to also answer that question. Yeah, I don't know how Jeffrey Lewis
1: came up with the 12 number, but we can't assume 12. I mean, we have to assume as Rick says that China intends to fill every silo with the DF-41 and then to do the multiplication times 10 to get to the number of warheads that they will be able to deploy from those facilities alone. Here's a bigger question. A lot of Americans, and this is cuts across arms control, it cuts across the whole range of our relations with Beijing, think that we can come to some sort of reasonable accommodation with China if only we had agreements. Well, unfortunately, China doesn't honor agreements, and we can go through this long history of China abrogating its agreements with everybody, including the United States. So, it seems to me that um, talking about arms control with China is a non-starter. Yes, we would all love to be able to have some sort of agreement that reduced the risk of nuclear war, but that's not going to happen. We've got to get realistic, and we've got to understand that uh, we, um, China is looking to intimidate. Um, and so therefore, we need to have an arsenal that does not permit them to do that. It, it's not much more complicated than that.
2: Gordon uh, puts it uh, very well. Uh, uh, China is building up its nuclear forces not to respond to the United States, but to fulfill uh, objectives and goals set forth, but not revealed by the Chinese Communist Party leadership. Uh, And we can uh, basically add up the indicators and uh, the the statements, sometimes cryptic, sometimes not, or even just. Count up the hundreds of public denials by Communist Party leaders that they will never seek hegemony and and understand uh, that yes, absolutely. As as most uh, Chinese uh, members of the Communist Party will tell you, uh, this is deception. We've practiced this for thousands of years against ourselves. Uh, Don't be surprised that yes, uh, we have always wanted global hegemony And in in order to do that, yes, we need uh, the the largest, uh, most powerful nuclear force in the world. And uh, for as long as the Russians are willing to bandwagon with us, uh, we'll let them survive. But uh, uh, Russians, also be warned that uh, you're on the list as well. You may want to just be last, but we're going to subordinate you just like we want to subordinate the rest of the world. And uh, uh, that's why we need more
0: nuclear weapons than anybody else. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Um, I just want to say parenthetically to Gordon and, and Rick, uh, and I think you can confirm this under arms control agreements that have been signed all the way back to the SALT 1 agreement in 1972, launchers, otherwise known as silos, count as missiles, whether they have real missiles in them or not. Because otherwise, you have a real problem in terms of verification. So if the Chinese build 200 plus silos and they had only a couple dozen missiles in them, they would still count as missiles every single one of those launchers. So it would be, we would never sign an arms control deal that would allow that, which I think is a very important point. A number of questions people, Rick would like to know, can, we, can they get copies of your slides? Number one. And number two, my question is, some people have questioned, is China building these aimed at India? or the United States or both? Uh, Rick, why don't you start with that and then we can go to Gordon.
2: Uh, Yes, uh, I've uh, asked, responded to uh, uh, the request to uh, put the slides on the the Mitchell Institute webpage. Uh, When when that happens, uh, they'll be available to anyone who cares to download them. Um, Indeed, uh, our Indian friends are now facing uh, additional dilemmas. And there's a undercurrent of debate in India over whether to uh, uh, sustain their kind of traditional uh, uh, neutralist, uh, Stance and, and policies, or to begin to break out of that, to actually participate in the defense of, of freedom—not just their own freedom, but uh, other the freedom of others, which which is also the direct defense of their own freedom. Uh, I, I certainly hope that the Chinese uh, sprint to nuclear superiority accelerates this in debate in India that. Uh, they, they they will have to either hang together with the other democracies, including the United States, or hang separately. Uh, uh, the uh, ability of the Chinese to use nuclear weapons to cover a massive armored thrust uh, down uh, to uh, occupy Delhi uh, is is growing, and it's very real. Uh, uh, the in- India would do well to uh, engage in strategic defense cooperation with the United States uh, to uh, assist perhaps in the buildup of uh, both uh, US and American SSBNs in order to uh, have uh, that short strike range uh, to the new uh, Chinese silo fields from the South uh, and uh, participate in uh, the defense of Taiwan. If Taiwan falls, The number of forces that could be deployed on the border with India will increase by a hundred percent. India, it is clearly now, if it ever was, in India's interest to join in the defense of all democracies.
1: Over to you. Yeah, China is looking uh, primarily at the US, but yes, India as well. And they have to, because India's primary purpose with its arsenal is to defend itself from Pakistan. But India is now developing missiles with that can range all of the Chinese homeland. And China understands this, so they're taking um, appropriate measures. So yes, China is targeting the United States and targeting
0: India. Uh, we have a question from, uh, one of the things I've laid up is, General Austin has talked about, or Supreme Secretary Austin has talked about that. NATO would not be involved in the Indo-Pacific in terms of deterrence, particularly in the extended deterrence in the nuclear area. We have 200 gravity bombs aboard airplanes in Europe and that's for the extended deterrent in, for NATO. We don't have any theater nuclear weapons in the entire Indo-Pacific region. All the ones we have, we've withdrawn. On the other hand, What's your sense? And I want to start with Rick and then Gordon. What's your sense of whether or not you can deter China just with your central strategic systems, or do we have to talk about what would extended deterrence look like in the Pacific in the nuclear arena? Because as you know, the Mitchell Institute's done a study on protecting Taiwan. It's a very difficult thing to do if it's a fait accompli if China's there to get them out. And number two, a war of attrition, we lose. So, how do you? We got to deter China from ever going in the first place. So, Rick, over to you in terms of how you might look at extended deterrence in the nuclear area uh, arena. Uh,
2: thank you, Peter. Uh, an excellent question, uh, and and a, a primary uh, question at, at that. Uh, we're really back in the 1950s, where we 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 quickly concluded that. Uh, uh, a strategic bomber delivery uh, uh, was not enough to uh, deter the Soviet threat in Europe. We also had to invest in uh, theater range uh, nuclear systems. Uh, Yeah, Uh, the Chinese uh, signaled their their quest for strategic superiority by having already achieved tactical nuclear theater superiority in Asia. what do we do? We credit them with 2,000, uh, 2,200 uh, theater uh, delivery systems. Uh, 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 how many of them are armed with uh, tactical nuclear warheads? You know, the Chinese have told credible American analysts they have no tactical nuclear weapons. Of course, that is that is a flat lie, and uh, we'll we'll learn how wrong uh, those statements were when when they attack us. We require at least. Uh, 2000 uh, uh, new tech theater nuclear systems in Asia and perhaps the same number in Europe in order to uh, deter the Russians, to deter uh, uh, the Russians from taking advantage of uh, Chinese moves that would tie down the Americans. Uh, Our strategic arsenal must be preserved in order to deter at the strategic level. In order to do that, we now require a very robust a very large theater nuclear capability both in asia and in europe and i would also suggest to our uh, european nato allies that uh, you know the british uh, announced that they were going to tweak up their nuclear warheads uh, what to about uh, 260 i think is the number i may be yes. wrong there uh, but uh, no Uh, the Europeans require now at least a thousand warheads in order to hold at bay uh, the Russians when uh, Russia and China begin uh, engaging in joint nuclear coercion or worse. I'll stop there. Gordon.
1: Well, to respond directly to you, I can't add anything to what Rick said. Let me just mention two subsidiary points. First of all, Rick mentioned about the Russians taking advantage of a conflict in Asia. And that is absolutely critical because the way this becomes a global war in ours is that you have a conflict in some part of the world, could start in China, with China, could start with Russia or Iran or North Korea, and it quickly spreads because everybody else um, takes advantage of the situation. So um, a war over Taiwan becomes a war over eastern Ukraine. Um, The North Koreans and uh, the Iranians could go after um, countries in their neighborhoods So that is the real risk right now. Uh, On this issue, Peter, you started with um, Secretary Austin talking about NATO. You know, at this moment, the HMS Queen Elizabeth, which is the Royal Navy's sole aircraft carrier, is in the South China Sea. Um, The Germans have sent a destroyer, which is either entering the South China Sea or has already entered. Um, There have been French warships in the region as well. And what we are seeing are NATO countries starting to take an interest in what's going on um, in the periphery of China because they realize that everybody does have a stake, as we've been talking about, in keeping Taiwan safe and free. So really what we're seeing right now is NATO take a bigger interest in the area. And this is going to take a long time um, because countries in NATO don't want to confront China. But we're seeing um, the region um, start to knit together. And although that's a slow process, that's a very important development. It's interesting.
2: Peter. Go ahead, Rick. Yeah, I just wanted to add. Look, China has spent the last thirty years turning Pakistan, North Korea, and Iran into nuclear missile states. They did this in order to uh, uh, undermine uh, our, uh, or to attack our nuclear posture. They want us to waste our strategic warheads Uh, and and, uh, reduce our ability to uh, deter or or prevail in the event of a a strategic conflict. Uh, The tells that carry the North Korean uh, ICBMs are made in China uh, or designed and and co-produced in North Korea. Uh, the, The Chinese have faced absolutely no price for, for this perfidy. Uh, they should have been sanctioned back in 2012 when these tells were revealed. That the American leadership, both parties, have, have failed to do this is, in my opinion, a travesty.
0: Thank you, Rick. Uh, one of our commentators said that, a uh, participants said that also Canada has put uh, warships in the in, a sub, in the South China Sea, which tells me uh, one of the questions we had was, is there interest in, in the, what has the Biden administration done in terms of encouraging our allies in not only the Pacific, but in NATO to take the Chinese threat seriously? And obviously these countries that you just mentioned have done so. My next question has to do with a long-term Chinese claim that they have no first use policy. But I think it's, I wanna go beyond that. And that is my related question is, given what they're doing to modernizing their nuclear deterrent, have they not only, have they given up the idea of no first use, but more, more importantly, have they adopted what General heighten talked about, the Russians, which is escalate to win, which is the threatened minimal use of nuclear weapons to enable, to enable them to coerce us to stand down in a crisis so we don't even get involved in defending our friends. But their threat is at a relatively limited number of weapons to be used. Uh, Gordon, why don't you sp- Take that first and then we'll go to Rick.
1: Yeah, we don't have to speculate, Peter. Even at times of peace where there's no provocation whatsoever, we have heard voices from the Chinese military, from the Chinese political system, threaten the use of nukes. So clearly this is something they are thinking of. And that really means that the no first use policy as announced, as often affirmed, really is not uh, the policy that China is thinking about. We've had a number of very interesting comments um, from Chinese officials. One that didn't get any sort of play was um, there was a WikiLeaks um, leak during the Obama administration when Hillary Clinton was secretary of state. And um, Clinton sent around something to American allies talking about uh, what China was going to do in terms of launching a test missile. And some of this information we could have gotten from satellites, but some of it we couldn't. So this was information that um, we got obviously from sources on the ground. And a Chinese general um, who had recently retired, but working for the misnamed Disarmament Association in Beijing, who basically is still part of the Chinese military establishment, actually blurted out, uh, and I'm sure this was a mistake, um, they blurted out to the South China Morning Post Oh my gosh, if the Americans know this, we can't launch a surprise missile attack. Now, why would a Chinese general who is certainly still clued into what China was thinking, talk about surprise missile attacks if they weren't thinking about this, if they weren't planning about it? So clearly we cannot rely on no first use statements.
2: Rick? Uh, The most interesting suggestion so far uh, from uh, the Biden administration in regards to uh, uh, possibly strengthening our our position in the Indo-Pacific was uh, the the leak several weeks ago that they were considering uh, uh, asking the allies to contribute to a standing naval force in Asia. Uh, That would be uh, a very positive uh, uh, step. It should be uh, uh, joined with uh, uh, possibly rotating deployed uh, air forces and increased uh, deployments, standing deployments of uh, marine forces for those that are that are able to contribute. Um, but the standing naval force would, would be a very positive beginning, and I, I would I would certainly hope that our uh, Canadian allies are are considering uh, how they might best uh, contribute. To uh, potential uh, standing forces in in the Indo-Pacific, uh, as well as our, our NATO allies as well, uh, it's 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 necessary. Uh, it, it's it's a, it's a very positive uh, gesture that that I hope is is carried forward. And as as for no first use, um, look, uh, <laughs> there's just so much in in uh, Chinese uh, strategic. Uh, history that uh, prizes uh, the surprise attack, prizes uh, 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 sophisticated and consistent deception, that uh, most of what uh, the Chinese have been telling us about their, their nuclear posture for the last uh, 30 to 40 years, in my opinion, has been, been a trope and, and a, a very successful delaying tactic uh, to uh, buy time to invest in the technologies that uh, they are now getting ready to deploy within the next year.
0: Gordon, have a question from our audience. A very good one. He says, "Why do the why do you think the Chinese leadership thinks the think the window of opportunity is closing?" And he follows it up with this: uh, "The pace of U.S. military modernization does not appear to be so rapid that the." Chinese in a few years won't have an opportunity. His point is that uh, he's not sure that's the case, but why don't you address that? Because I think it's a very interesting question.
1: First of all, China is gonna experience the most dramatic demographic decline in history in the absence of war or disease. There are about 1.4 billion now, as they announced after their seventh national census, which was conducted last November and December. Um, By the end of this century, they will be, by their own estimates, a few million over one billion. In other words, by their own estimates, they're going to lose 400 million people. But if you look at the current numbers as they really are, probably China will be in the 480 million range. In other words, they're probably going to lose 900 million people. They could lose even more. China, which is now four times more populous than the U.S., will probably have the same number of people as the U.S. by the end of the century, if China lucky. So that really puts, I think, um, the outer end to this. But right now, China is going through a number of problems. For instance, Jordan, Could you year, explain,
0: is that primarily due to the, the low birth rate as opposed to an increasing uh, child mortality?
1: Yes, China's total fertility rate. Which is the number average number of children per woman of childbearing age, is claimed um, to be somewhere like 1.3, but it's really if Chinese demographers will say that it's either 0. 0.9 and at the most 1.1. So if you do the arithmetic, you come out to um, that number. China has a problem. It not only is it have a declining birth rate r- rapidly, dramatically from 2017 on. But also because of the one child policy and the preference for males, there's too many males. There's yes. somewhere between 35 to 50 million excess males. And um, when you ha- if you have too many females, you can actually have procreation. But too many males, it doesn't work. Um, so right now, China is realizing, you know, it went from a one child policy to a two child policy at the beginning of 2016. It's just gone to that didn't work. It's now gone to a three child policy that can't work uh, for a number of reasons. Um, So China is on a demographic path, which it can't change. No country has ever been able through incentives to change demography beyond a one or two year bump, which they can do through cash incentives. But nobody has ever been able to change long term behavior And China for various reasons. um, And this is a very long discussion. One of my favorite topics, I'm not going to bore everyone about it but the point is that uh, there's nothing Beijing can do. The problem though, is that China has immediate problems. It has a food crisis. 2020 was a disaster for China's food self-sufficiency. This year is even worse and it's gonna get worse in in following years. And that really is driving Chinese mentality right now. Um, You've got an economy which has not recovered from COVID. You've got a people who are somewhat restive. They're kept in control by um, the world's most coercive political system outside North Korea's. Um, But you're starting to see an environment which is quit on the Chinese. Um, You know, and you have to think about scarcity of water. You start putting all these problems together. Maybe one or two of them are solvable, but not all at the same time. And that's why we're seeing Chinese propaganda itself talk about how China has to achieve its ambitions now. That's a real hint to the mentality of the, at least the civilian leaders. And Peter, this means one thing, and that is, apart from China, we have a Pentagon now that is determined to take out what they call the legacy platforms. In other words, existing weapons. And they want to do that so they can pay for the next generation of ships and planes and whatever. Yeah, we're talking the next generation is 20, late 2030s, 2040s. That's not when we have to worry about China. We have to worry about China now. We need every A-10, we need every F-15, we need every old plane in the US Air Force inventory. Because if we're gonna deter China, as Rick's been talking about in terms of Taiwan and others, we're gonna need that equipment now. And we're gonna need to have more ammunition, we're gonna need to have more stores, we need to have more survivable bases. This is a 2021 issue not a 2031 or
0: 2041 issue. Yeah, you're, you're, Congress has kind of pushed back on the reduction of legacy systems to pay for the research and development and new technologies, but that won't bear fruit until about 2030. So I understand what you're saying and it's very true and it's a good, good answer to that question. We're now at 11 o'clock and kind of, uh, we have run out of time, but I wanted to just uh, thank you both for an extraordinary presentation but also to remind our viewers that our next Michelin Institute Nuclear Deterrence event will be with Major General Lutton Tuesday, August 10th. He is the commander of our 20th Air Force in Cheyenne, Wyoming at F.E. Warren. And he is uh, previously was deputy director for nuclear and homeland defense operations of the joint staff. So I wanna thank everybody who came on today about almost, we had almost 90 people, Rick and Gordon, I want to thank you, both of you, for your uh, extraordinary good presentation. We have some additional questions I may pass on to you and see whether or not you could answer just privately. But again, thanks to you both. And from us here at the Mitchell Institute, as we say, have a great aerospace Power day. And Gordon, Rick, thank you very much for um, certainly not good news, but news we need to hear. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Peter.